listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Thank you for joining us again as we let the Bible speak. It is our conviction that we believe the Bible to be the means whereby people's hearts are changed. Not the Bible itself, for a mere knowledge of the Bible will not change anyone's heart. The heart is changed when the Spirit of God works in that person's heart through the means of the Word of God. So we seek week by week to bring you the Word of God, but we do so depending upon the Spirit of God to apply the Word to your heart. Today we're returning to our studies in Revelation chapter 4, looking at the throne of God. And as we'll see, that throne is a throne of majesty and sovereignty. But the sovereignty of God is exercised in his mercy. God shows mercy to sinners as he works in this world. There is a portion in the Psalter, in this book of Psalms, where it describes the Lord preparing his throne in the heavens. It's Psalm 103, verse number 19. As we enter into our study today, I'd like to read part of this psalm to you, a selection of verses. These verses highlight the the mercy of God, and I trust they will be a benefit to you, and pray that the Spirit of God would apply the word to your heart, that if you do not know the mercy of God, so you come to know his grace and his favor toward you in Christ Jesus. The Psalm 103 begins with the words, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. The Psalm continues in the verse number 10. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. May God use his word in your hearts today. Let's turn together tonight again to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. We're going to read together again the first five verses. Revelation 4, reading together from the verse number 1. And after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. 
And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Amen. May God be pleased to bless his word to your hearts tonight. I think the great benefit of this chapter is the comfort that is derived from seeing the unseen reality whilst we live in the seen and felt turmoil of this world. We are seeing the unseen, but though it is unseen, it is very real. We have a tendency to presume that what we see and feel is what is real, but there is a reality in heaven, and that reality ought to bring great comfort to our souls. The churches in Asia, to whom John is writing, are suffering persecution. They are suffering the effects of the fall in the world. Well, yes, in a particular sense, due to the, to the anger through the hostility of a, of a Roman emperor, but in a general sense, they are simply suffering the effects of the fall one of which manifestation is persecution for Christ's sake. And to these suffering churches, there are two things that are revealed to them in the early chapters of this book. First of all, we saw there is the comfort that Christ glorified walks among the churches. He knows them. He sees them. He knows their works. He knows their needs. He is the glorified Christ ministering to them in all of their troubles. And the second thing is what we see in this chapter, and that is the fact that God sits on the throne. The throne room seen in heaven is a display of the majesty of God. He that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And the use of these precious gems, emphasizing the majesty of God, reflecting the words of the company in Isaiah chapter 6, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The sovereignty of God is displayed in the throne. There's a throne in heaven, a throne upon whom, or upon which sits the Lord God. And the response of the company is awestruck worship. They are indeed worshipping the Lord. Verse number 8, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. The company in their worship, they simply state the truth of what they see. What they behold is reflected in the words of their praise. And so you hear the acknowledgement of verse number 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And the word pleasure here speaks of the pleasure of God's will. It is the word that is elsewhere translated with that word will, the will of God. It's an indication again that all of creation is made and sustained by God's will and for his glory. For thou hast created all things, and if you like, and out of the pleasure of thy will, and for the pleasure of thy will, they are and were created. Creation, made in the will of God living, sustained under the purpose of God, for the glory of God. 
You think of the words of the wise man, Proverbs 16, verse 4, the Lord hath made all things for himself. All things for himself. Yea, even the wicked. As the text says, even the wicked for the day of evil. You have the simple truth of Ephesians chapter 1, that all things work according to the counsel of his will, his pleasure, the freedom of God's will. God is the sovereign God. Our worship ought to be a reflection of what is revealed to us. We don't have this physical sight, but indeed our worship, in a sense, does also reflect what we know to be true. We simply repeat what God has told us and shown us that he is in the word. And so when you see the majesty and the sovereignty of God and indeed the company worshiping God, you see other things arise out of these truths. God is majestic, God is sovereign, but there are two other matters that I want to leave before you tonight that arise out of these foundational truths. The first thing I want you to recognize is the mercy of God. Look again at verse number three. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. There's a rainbow round the throne. The mercy of God comes to us in covenantal promises. God is faithful, faithful to do all of his good pleasure. And this rainbow is a reminder of the display and the work of God in his mercy. And the rainbow, I believe, takes us back deliberately to God's covenant with Noah. You go back to Genesis chapter 9, and you will see the description of God making covenant with Noah. Genesis chapter 9. Verse number 9, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. And in this covenantal promise, there's a token that is given. Verse number 13, I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant. The covenant that God made with Noah is a covenant, verse number 11, I will establish my covenant with you, neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of flood, neither shall there be any more, sorry, neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. It is the promise, the promise of God preserving, preserving his creation, so you have verse number 22 of chapter 8, While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. God's covenant with Noah is a promise of the stability of the creation in the providence of God. It is that God will preserve his world. That thought of preservation is also taught by Peter himself, 2 Peter chapter 3. And if you turn there briefly, 2 Peter chapter 3, and you will see that as Peter deals with the subject of the coming of Christ, he describes this world, verse number 6, uh, then verse number 6 describes the world in Noah's day, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished, but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word, listen, are kept in store 
reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now here, Peter's point is that this world, like the world in Noah's day, is indeed ripe for judgment. Judgment will fall upon the ungodliness of this world. But what I want to draw your attention to is a sense of this idea of the world being kept in store, being reserved, preserved. You see, when you see this in light of Revelation chapter 4, what you're seeing is that the throne room scene is a demonstration of, we can say it's quite literally, the overarching mercy of God. The, the rainbow surrounding, overarching the throne is an indication of the stability of the world in the sovereign control of God. You see, God's sovereignty does not make the preservation of the world necessary. What I mean by that, because God is sovereign, that does not necessarily indicate the preservation of the world, because God will one day destroy the world in sovereignty. So his sovereignty does not make the preservation of the world necessary. It is stable. It is preserved because God is sovereign. And because God is sovereign, we have an unshakable confidence that this world is stable. We saw that, didn't we? The 93rd Psalm. You've got it there, the Lord reigneth, he is clothed with majesty, the Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he himself, he hath girded himself, the world also is established that it cannot be moved. So the world is established, it's stable, it cannot be moved. We believe that to be so in part because the Lord reigneth, he is clothed with majesty and strength, his sovereignty undergirds the confidence we have that the world is stable. But the reason, the reason for God exercising his sovereignty in the stability of this world is his desire to display his mercy and redemption. That's the purpose. Okay, so the world is stable. We know that to be so. We have those statements in the word of God, including the promise to Noah. God's sovereignty undergirds that stability. The world cannot dissolve outside the purpose of God. The world cannot be destroyed by man's will. The world can only come to an end by God's will. It is stable. But the purpose of that stability is the work of redemption. The rainbow over the throne emphasizes that the throne's working itself out in sovereignty is the display of God's mercy in redemption. It's not the only reason for God's sovereignty, but it is the, the scene that we, that we read here in Revelation chapter 4. The rainbow is around the throne. And so we can say, this world is stable. And if I can borrow the language of the hymn writer, till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Stable. Until all the company of God's elect be gathered in. You see, the promise to Noah was in part the promise of Messiah. When God says to Noah, this world will not be destroyed, he is saying this world is the theater of redemption into which Messiah will come and die upon this world to secure redemption. And also, from the point of the cross, this world is stable so that every single one of God's elect will be born and born again, and brought into fellowship with the Savior. 
This world cannot end until that day comes to pass. And so we pray and we preach and we have confidence in the knowledge that we do so in a stable world. Ah, that's a great confidence, isn't it? Because you read the, the news broadcast or you watch the news broadcast and you read your internet news reports and all you see is chaos and confusion. This is the unseen reality. There's a throne around which is a rainbow securing the promise of God to execute his purpose in redemption without fail. Nobody can stay God's hand or say unto him, What doest thou? He will indeed redeem a people unto himself. And we are simply coming to God and saying, Lord, may your will be done and may your kingdom come. That's the mercy of God displayed in this throne room scene. And the second thing for tonight is the activity of God displayed in this throne room scene. In light of God's majesty and sovereignty, in light of his goodness, we then see the activity described in verse number 5. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. When you read this word, uh, this text, you've got to think about the Old Testament parallels. So often said, well said, that you will only properly understand Revelation when you study it in light of the Old Testament language that's used in Revelation. And so what is the parallels? What are the parallels here in Revelation chapter 4 with the Old Testament? Well, what about the seven spirits of God? Well, before we go back to the Old Testament, let me remind you again of chapter 1, verse number 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. And I trust you remember when we came to that text and looked at that text, we are seeing a blessing that comes from the triune gods. These three persons of the Godhead, equal, co-equal, and co-eternal. The Father, which was, and which is, and which was to come, is to come. The seven spirits and the Son, Jesus Christ. These three persons within the Godhead. One God, three persons. And so the reference to the seven spirits in verse number four of chapter one, we saw, was a reference to the fullness of the Spirit of God. The third person of the Trinity. And that sense of the Trinitarian explanation for the seven spirits of God ties in well with what we see in the Old Testament in Zechariah chapter 4. You turn back to Zechariah chapter 4 and you'll see a reference to seven lamps. Remember the text in Revelation? What's he see? Well, he sees seven lamps of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And in Zechariah chapter 4, and the verse number 2, it says, And said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes of the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof. Here are seven lamps. It fulfills the types and the shadows of the menorah that was used to, to light and to illuminate the, the, the inner place, the holy place 
where the priest would go and offer the showbread, and they would take of the showbread, and they'd offer incense upon the altar in the tabernacle. This lamp and this seven lamps are burning, and we know from verse number 6, What's this all mean? It is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. So you see here these seven lamps burning before the throne uh, describe the activity of the Spirit of God illuminating the people of God in truth unto communion with their gods. This is the Spirit of God in His work of illumination. You see also then, what about the other descriptions here? Out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Well, that, I believe, takes us to Mount Sinai. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount. Exodus chapter 19, verse 16. But you turn back, please, to Psalm 97. We touched on this one very, very briefly last week. I just mentioned it and moved on. But look at Psalm 97. And here the description of the throne. The Lord reigneth. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitudes of isles be glad thereof. Clouds and darkness are round about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. A fire goeth before him and burneth up his enemies round about. His lightnings enlightened the world. The earth saw and trembled. This is a description of the majesty of the authority of God on the throne. In these picture terms, thunderings and lightnings and clouds and darkness, it's describing the, the dispensation of the law of God. God the lawgiver. God the God of judgment. And you keep these pictures in your mind. You keep these parallels in your mind. And you go back to Revelation chapter 4 and you read of the throne. Out of the throne, lightnings and thunderings. And the seven lamps of fire burning, the seven spirits of God, what you're seeing is the activity of the Spirit of God from the throne of God. What does God do in His sovereignty? He acts in the power of the Spirit of God. And we see this. We see it revealed for us in the Gospel of John and the 16th chapter. John chapter 16, we're going to see very precisely what happens when the Spirit of God proceeds from the throne of God? What is the impact of the Spirit of God? Well, it's thunderings and lightnings. And it's illumination and light and light from the lamps. John 16 and the verse number 7. The Lord says, It is expedient for me, for you, that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The Spirit of God's function is to come with the thunderings and the lightnings. As the law of God came in Sinai in thunderings and lightnings, so the Spirit of God comes and applies the law of God and reproves people of their sin, of their lack of righteousness and the warnings of the judgment to come. Like Mount Sinai, they were, they were fear, fear, fearful of approaching the mount. And so it is our desire that the Spirit of God is poured out upon this world in such a way that people are fearful of come before God without Christ. That they feel their weight of their sin. It is the Spirit of God who comes and improves the world. He dispenses the law and judgment. And the Spirit of God dispenses light and grace. 
Verse number 16 of the same chapter. How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. This is the work of the Spirit of God. We see it in the picture here, in the language, in the vivid imagery of Revelation chapter 4. We see, we see God upon the throne. And before the throne, we see the seven spirits of God. And we hear and we see lightnings and thunderings and we see lamps and we see this is the work of the Spirit of God. Reproving the world of sin and of judgment and showing the word the truth of Christ Jesus. This is what the Spirit of God does. What a comfort this must have been to the churches. In all of their troubles, they are being shown through John a vision of the majestic God, their God upon the throne. A God who is sovereignly upholding the world. A God that cannot be hindered or stayed. A God whose will cannot be prevented or thwarted. This is their God and this is our God. Still upon the throne, even today, 2,000 years later. Still upholding the world. Still exercising his mercy. The rainbow is still around the throne. And from this merciful throne room comes the Spirit of God poured out into this world, reproving the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment, and showing the world the glory of Christ Jesus. How can we not respond with the heavenly host and bow down in worship? How can we not respond with faith and confidence, praying to this God, realizing this is our God to whom we come and he is the rewarder of all that diligently seek him. This is our God. And we have the rights and the access to approach his throne of grace. Cry out for the spirit of God. These seven spirits are before the throne to cry to God, send forth your spirit into this world in our day that our neighbors would be reproved of their sins and that they would see the beauty and the majesty of Christ Jesus. We worship, we pray in faith, we live in hope. And we have that great devotion of love to our God. May we see, may we see the unseen reality May God help us not to be distracted by all the things that we see that would seek to convince us that the unseen is not real. Oh, the unseen is real. And the unseen God is the one who rules over all of the seen turmoil of this present day and age. May God bless us in his word tonight. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.